Hey y'all, it's been a minute, and I apologize. The last time we were together, it was around Thanksgiving. I went home to my native Chicago in an effort to make sure my mom had the Thanksgiving that she deserved, all things considered. What is all things considered? My favorite auntie and her closest sister passed earlier in the year, and grief-stricken, heartbroken, and rocked to the core, my mother didn't really want to celebrate. I took it upon myself to not have her sitting at home by herself, considering that my father has dementia, and there's not much he can do for her at this point. So I went home. I reconnected with some friends, made a couple new friends, but I went home, and I spent time with my mom. And it was emotionally draining, honestly, because I am now what people call the sandwich generation. I am sandwiched between caring for my children and caring for my parents. And it can take a toll on you. Nothing major, I mean, shook it off. But it can take a toll on you. And in taking that toll on me, I decided to take time for myself and just really take a pause and enjoy this life that we've been given. So I took my mom to a play while I was in Chicago. I visited... Um, I went to a campground just outside of Chicago and chilled out for a few days. I took a week off from work. I had a colonoscopy, passed with flying colors. It's not TMI. As a man and as a man of color, colon health is a real thing. And I was at the 50-year deadline since I recently turned 50. And, you know, as I've said through many of these episodes, I'm trying to be here for my kids and I'm not trying to be in some dilapidated state. God willing, he keeps me around. I want to be healthy for them and any grandkids that might come along or more kids I might have myself. So I just spent the last few weeks, last couple of months, just enjoying each day for what it is, trying to keep as much off of my plate as possible and just enjoying the day, wanting to do things that I want to do. And I love this podcast and I love each and every one of you all. And sidebar, shout out to the folks that met up with me in L.A. Shout out to my L.A. listeners. You all know who you are, or California listeners. You all are the best of the best. We had a great time. We had dinner. We talked about everything. Thank you for helping me enjoy my stay in L.A. I love doing this podcast, and I love each and every one of you all. But between my parents, my child, my podcast, work, and me, Something had to give, and I needed to take a little bit of a break. Holiday season was amazing. Going into the holiday season, I was festive. I was full of joy, full of love, money in the bank. Bought gifts galore for the kids for the first time in a long time because the brother had been struggling financially, and things are a little bit different now. And then your boy got the Rona. I think Omarion, Omicron, Optimus Prime, whatever version of it. I'm vaccinated, but I ended up in the doctor's office because too much was happening to me at the same time and I just couldn't take it anymore and I laughed because if you knew what I went through it was pure comedy it was like it was like I was Ramesses from back in the day and God had let loose the plagues on my life literally something was different was happening to me every day ended up at the doctor's office everything was inconclusive they gave me some antibiotics to get me right but on my way out the door decided to take a blood test since I passed all the you know I passed when I say passed, I was negative for COVID, um, negative for all the other tests they ran on me. And they said, well, why don't we run a blood test? And ding, 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 I had antibodies for COVID. So at some point I got it, 
and I believe that it was during that time that I was down during the holidays. Thankfully, the worst of it only lasted about 12, 18 hours. Um, I'm not sure on the time because time stood still during that time period for me. And then after that, I was just very weak until all of this other weirdness started happening, which I said landed me in the doctor's office. Where did I get it? I wasn't out in the street partying. I wasn't somewhere without a mask. Well, I was, actually. I think I got it from my dentist's office. Um, Stranger things have happened. Makes sense. I mean, everybody's getting it. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not making light of it. But literally everyone that I know that has gone for two-plus years without it have all gotten it within the last three weeks. So I guess our number was up. I say all that to say, even with the COVID, I've been, I was holding on, holding on to trying to make sure my parents were okay, holding on to make sure that I was, my mom was okay, holding on, uh, not too, too tight, but tight to try not to get COVID, holding on. And ultimately, I had to let go. But we hold on to things, right? As people. We hold on to our parents' happiness. We hold on to our children's happiness. We hold on to our spouse's happiness. We hold on to our own as if we have some sort of control. And you do have control. Like you can decide, you can be intentioned and so on and so forth. But you can't hold tightly. You have to have an open hand on things. Holding on to not getting COVID, you know, holding on to these things. Ultimately, you have to let go. And what I mean, I don't mean like let go and not care. I mean, my parents are their own people. And as much as I want for them, as much as I want for them to not be in the situation that they're in, my parents lived entire lives separate and apart from me. Their lives is what has them there, just like my life is what has me here. Similarly, I had been holding on to my ex-wife, hoping that she'd be some sort of way, because I was some sort of way, holding on to that. And ultimately... I had to let that go. Welcome to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. After getting his master's degree in getting cursed out, his second master's in getting kicked out, Eric Payne decided to pursue his doctorate in getting his life right and staying in his own lane. But upon getting all his degrees, he realized he was a fish out of water in this new dating landscape. Eric was 28 years old when he met his ex-wife and was newly divorced at 43. The world had changed considerably since the days of StarTech beepers, Motorola flip phones, and Yahoo Chat. It is vicious out here in these new streets where taking pictures of yourself all day long with a phone and posting them on the internet is actually a thing. The Dating After Divorce Survival Guide is the story of Eric's journey from love and marriage to divorce to dating to hopefully love and marriage once more. So to pick up on the story of Eric Payne in 2018, Thanksgiving passed, then it was Christmas. So let's recap a little bit and jump back into our story. Christmas time 2018. I was sad, low-key mad, but mostly sad. My kids were going to Paris without me. They were going with their mom. And she had even offered me the opportunity to go with her. I wasn't sure if she was going with anybody else. And I'm not going to say that that's so much factored into my decision to say no. I think my decision to say no just factored into the fact that I didn't want it. I didn't want to be in the same space. We were no longer the same people that we were when we were together. And spending time together 
as new beings, after having done that a couple of times, I realized that I only had a, I had an expiry on the experience. So, you know, a couple hours, a few hours, but nothing more than a, than a few hours. And I was still between things. And I remember the offer being, hey, you know, I'll spot you for the flight or I'll spot you for whatever. It was just one of those things where I felt like if I said yes, I mean, I wouldn't have said yes anyway, because I think my pride at the time was too strong. But if I had said yes, I was concerned that I'd hear about it later when during a not so pretty moment between us, which were becoming more and more few and far between, but they were happening nonetheless. And I didn't want to hear that someone had bought me a trip to Paris when that just wasn't something that I wanted to do. I wanted to buy my own trip to Paris. I said, maybe I'll go there and just get my own spot and meet up with them for breakfast or whatever. But time ticked, months passed, and that didn't happen either. So here we are at Christmas. I don't have a flight to Paris. I don't have a room in Paris. It's not going to happen. And they're going to Paris. Initially, I thought they were leaving on Christmas Day. I was devastated because opening up the gifts and so on and so forth was just something that I wanted to do. And I might have been low-key jealous. I'm not going to lie. That's a fly thing to do. But I had my dates wrong. And as a result of that, I didn't really put too much of an effort into the tree. I'm big on the trees. I'm big on the trees. As tall as they can be for my space and as decorated as they can be. But since I knew that my kids weren't going to be there on Christmas, or so I thought, I got a six-foot-tall tree. I mean, I can look eye-to-eye with a six-foot-tall tree. Then I found out they were leaving the day after Christmas. And I was like, well, still, I don't want to be looking at some over-decorated tree. Well, not even over-decorated tree. I don't want to be looking at some decorated tree and not have my children to spend that time with. So the six-foot tree stayed, and I didn't upgrade. The day came, and I got all this food. The one thing that I looked forward to, even with mixed company, was having everyone over for Christmas and cooking, whether it was a collective cooking effort or what, but just having food everywhere, lots of ice cream, lots of pie. That's my thing. And then the day of, I found out, day of being Christmas, I found out that they were leaving at 8 o'clock on Christmas Day. Why? Because my ex read the dates wrong. I was too sad to be angry. I was too caught off guard to be exasperated. I kind of just let it happen in front of me. And I looked at all this food and said to myself, well, what am I going to do with all this food? We opened our gifts. We had a good time. We ate breakfast, which was more like brunch. And then all the food that had been in the oven for dinner stayed in the oven. And I was pretty, 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 pretty daggone sad. I love my kids. I love Christmas. I had Snoopy outside. I had the tree lit up. I had the Christmas music playing, the Jackson 5 thing going. I had the stockings full. We all exchanged gifts. But there's something to be said, you know, especially since everybody's getting older at this point. There's something to be said about having them, not even, not even hanging out with them, but just hearing them enjoying their gifts. So they said their goodbyes early because they had this early evening flight to Paris, which was going to be a long flight for them. When they were gone, I was sad. I was sad and I was downcast. I walked my house repeatedly. It was cavernous. My house is not cavernous. But without the sounds of children, laughter, electronics going on and off, I mean, yeah, I had the TV on, 
But without the sounds of children, my house had had an emptiness to it, a size that I had previously not been aware of. It seemed like there were more walls. I was just pacing around the house, looking at stuff, staring at the walls, looking at the ceiling, looking at the recessed lighting, looking at my floors, cleaning a lot, cleaning probably to pass the time. Talking to my parents, my mother asked me incessantly how the kids were doing in Paris, not understanding that One, I didn't exactly know because they were in a completely different time zone and they were doing plenty of things. And two, I I didn't want to, I wanted to know that they were safe, but I didn't necessarily want to talk about the experience. I was sad, low-key jealous, but not really mad. Because at the end of the day, my children were going to experience Paris. It was going to be great. They were going to have a blast. And they would grow from the experience. And it would be something that between them and their mom, they would always have, and it would be memorable. Or so I thought. A couple days into the trip, I'm getting text messages from overseas. Text messages from my child saying that she's not having a good time, saying that she's arguing with her mother. I reach out to my son, and I say, what's going on? And he's like, Dad, I can't even deal with these two. All they're doing is arguing. I get another text message that my child is lost in the Louvre. The Louvre. The Louvre in Paris. The Jay-Z and Beyonce Louvre. The Mona Lisa Louvre. I don't know where anybody is, and I'm in the Louvre, and no one's answering their phones. And I look at my phone, and I look at my empty house, and I look at I look for the audience because there is no audience. Audience, audience. I look around, I look around, wondering, am I, am, am I, is something wrong with me? I'm home in Atlanta, Georgia, sad, alone, and low-key jealous that I'm not going to, that I didn't go to Paris with my children. And my child is lost in the Louvre? What? I reach out to my ex and I just screenshot the message. And I said, I'm in Atlanta. And I went on about my business. For the life of me, I just did not understand why so much was happening on what was supposed to be a good trip. And I didn't understand why I was being involved when I wasn't there. Now, I've since learned why I am involved with things that don't involve me. But at the time, I totally didn't understand why that was. But it didn't end there. My daughter sends me an entire screenshot from my ex-wife. Something that was supposed to be sent to her sister she sent to her daughter instead. And in it, she was railing against our child. She was actually railing against both of our children because one was giving her the business, my daughter, and the other one was hanging out, meeting people and disappearing at different times. And you know, it was a private communication. It didn't involve me until it did. So as I'm continuing to read, to give my daughter some perspective and to not take things personal and to just try to like enjoy Paris. I don't know what's going on because again, I'm in Atlanta. I scroll down to an entire section that's dedicated to me. My child is entitled and she's entitled because of me. She believes she can have, she should have this and should have that because of me. I'm the one that gave her the mouth that she has. I'm the one that has her not appreciative of anything. I look at her words 
And I was like, this is absolutely insane. I am not even there. And it's still my fault. I am not even there. And it's still my fault. And I waited a couple days to sit on the message that I received about myself before I responded to my ex. When I finally got around to it, my response was, I don't understand why this is happening. And I'm sorry that it's happening. Like, legitimately, I'm sorry this is happening. I don't want this to happen to you. But you'll hold it down. You never hear from me when I have the kids. We're not together anymore. And yes, we're supposed to partner on certain things, but I'm not supposed to be helping you through every single thing that happens in your universe. I mean, that's what happens when you decide to step off and do your own thing. I understood that. Matter of fact, I was told that. I was told on more than one occasion that we're not together anymore. So why doesn't the same apply? And I guess that's the thing, right? Equitable treatment, equitable treatment, equitable treatment, and equitable treatment typically does not exist in acerbic, derisive, and defensive divorce situations, which was the situation that I was in. It was good when it was good, which meant that as long as I was behaving, it was fine. But the second that something went wrong and the second that I wasn't willing to help out, then I was the bad guy. And I, it, it just got old all of a sudden. So I said something I had never said, knowing that I was taking a risk. I said, we're not together anymore. I'm getting used to this. Please leave me alone. Please stop including me in your affairs. Let me go. Stop making me your scapegoat and let me go. I knew there was a risk in saying this. I wasn't calling her parenting into question. I was calling always including me as a scapegoat into question, which meant that you need to handle yours, which I guess was calling her parenting into question. And so I sent that off to her with the screenshot. It wasn't until they were back in town from Paris in the beginning of the new year, and it wasn't until my child was back over by my house that I got a response from my ex. She didn't say, oh, you know, I was upset or I was in the moment of da-da-da-da. She basically was like, if the shoe fits. She went on to turn the screws on me and then retaliate for what I had said about her handling things. She didn't respond to that part. She, she leapfrogged over that and then went in for the kill. Trust, I let you go. Trust, I let you go. When I divorced you, I let you go. Trust. And she knocked it right back in my court. Because, you know, when you're having an argument with someone, you get in where you fit in. You find openings. You hit where you think that it's going to hurt somebody else. So I definitely blew a hole in her chest. So she threw one back at me and said, trust, I let you go when I divorced you. Like, she never said nothing so, like, intentional. You know, things didn't work out. You know, this is, blah, blah. I mean, like, you know, after the initial, you know, after the initial War of the Roses that we went through when we first got divorced, there was never anything that was, like, ever so intentionally lobbed in my direction like that. I looked at that message and I laughed and I didn't respond. Something inside of me told me not to respond in the moment because there was nothing in the moment that was going to advance the conversation. There was nothing in the moment that was going to be productive. And there was nothing that I could say to change her feelings about me. Ding, da ding, ding, ding. There was nothing I could do to change her feelings about me. So in essence, 
Screw it. That is what I have been wanting the entire time I knew her, and especially after we got divorced. I was trying to change how she felt about me, and I have no control over that. None of us have any control over what others think of us. So all of this required a check-in with my man, my man who, like me, has a daughter, my man who, like me, is no longer with his daughter's mother. The difference between he and I is that he was never married to his daughter's mother. He is now remarried. He not remarried, but he's now married. But we go back all the way to freshman year, and I've mentioned him throughout this podcast. And matter of fact, he is one of the inspirations for this podcast. So shit had gotten so crazy, and I have to use that term, that I had to reach out to him and get my temperature check, as I do for most of the people that either mentor, guide, or keep me in check. So I tell him the story of Paris, and he just listened quietly, said that he knew how I felt, and he understood, and he was sorry that it happened. And then the more we talked, the more I began to like unfold and unpack all of this. I said, and here's the other thing, brother. I don't know if I said it like that, but I'll say it like that here. I said, here's the other thing, brother. I said, I finally get it. Like, I really get it. I said, brother, man, that is the best thing she could have ever done or said. She called herself giving me a dig, but she in essence set me free. I was doing things still as a divorced man, thinking, more so hoping, that if I came correct, when push came to shove, when the chips were down, when life reared its ugly head, when misunderstandings arose, my ex-wife would show me the same courtesy. And she had proven time and time and time and time and time again that she absolutely would not. Whether that was desire or capacity, it didn't matter. Desire meaning whether she truthfully desired to be that way towards me or whether she was just simply incapable of doing any better. It didn't matter. The result was the same. And I was suddenly free. I was like, wow, so this is all I'm going to get no matter what. Okay. So I don't have to like interact with this woman with the hope that things will get any better than they are right now. I can just do what I need to do, say what I need to say, and live my life without any expectation that she will ever meet me where I want to be met. As crazy as that sounds, it set me free. And I think that many times when we argue with people that we have been intimate with, are in relationship with, we expect and demand better based on who we are and what we do for them. Why? If someone's demonstrating who they are, again, whether that be desire or capacity, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to fight with them to be different? They are literally demonstrating who they are. They are showing you how, who you are in their eyes. Don't try to take, don't try to change the narrative that they have unless it's in a situation where there's a misunderstanding and that person genuinely wants to come to some sort of resolution with you. But if this is just how they flow towards you, if this, just is, if this is just what they do when it comes to you, you've been given a gift, the gift of understanding where you stand with someone. So don't waste your time trying to correct somebody on what they should be feeling or thinking about you. I mean, at the end of the day, are they paying your rent? Are they having sex with you? Are they cooking your food? This woman, I shared a child with her and nothing more. Nothing more. Whatever we had, we had. 
we did not anymore. So it didn't matter. Why am I trying to change the opinion of someone who has absolutely no influence on my life? Someone who is not, uh, thankfully, able to change the opinion of my child of me or my children of me. Not that she was. I'm just saying, like, you know, I know that there's some instances where that does happen. The attempts are made. And after bearing my soul to my best friend, he said, my brother, you are much better than me because you are finding out. At how old is she? I said, 13. You are finding out at 13 what it took me almost 18 years to discover. So you're ahead of the game. And we both laughed, got off the phone, and moved on with our respective days. And a couple days after that, I sent my ex-wife a not-so-short text detailing how I would communicate with her and how I desired to be communicated with. I read your WhatsApp and all the crazy stuff. Nope, 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 don't want to say that. Let me change that. All the stuff you said and look, I don't want to do this anymore with you. You are a keyboard gangster. You hide behind the keyboard and say whatever you want. Nope, nope, nope. Don't want to say I need to change that. No, no, that's not going to go over well. Since you seem to be okay with saying whatever you want, whether it's true or not, behind the keyboard, but then don't want to ever have any face-to-face conversations and never want to hash things out with me, I don't know why you feel the way that you do, but I'm no longer interested in changing it. So what I'm going to do is do what's best for me and what's most healthy for me and... This will be my last text message to you for the foreseeable future. Moving forward, I'm going to email you all of baby girl stuff for school whenever you need to be pulled in on any information regarding that and anything that has to do with doctor visits and anything else kid related. But outside of that, there really isn't anything that you and I need to be discussing at this point. I will probably pick the same day each week to email you, probably Thursday or Friday. That way it gives you a heads up going into the weekend should anything need to happen. And I'm going to just do this. I will not be texting you. I will not be calling you. I will not be responding to your text. And I will not be picking up the phone when you call. Um, Let me see what else, what else, what else. If this goes okay and we seem to be able to communicate decently via email, then we can revisit this in a year in January of 2020. Hope all is well. Have a great year. Whether it was honored or not, didn't really care because I was definitely intending on holding up my end of the bargain. And that's what you have to do when you set boundaries. If you're setting them, then you've got to honor them and let the universe do the rest. After all the dust settled, I looked around my life and took stock of everything that happened. And I wondered, would this have gone down this way had I had a partner? Would a woman that was in my life have even stood for any of this to happen? Probably not. But I was alone. And I had been alone for all of 2018, after I had declared myself a king, while standing on the rooftop green space of a high school. Not necessarily without company, but ultimately alone.
Admittedly, in January of 2019, I backslid. Yeah, I put my ex on the back burner. I put her on ice. I let go and understood that she could only be who she was no matter who I wanted her to be or no matter how hard I tried to be nice, expecting, and hoping for something in return. I was empty. I had had a year of misfires. Some my fault, some just happened, whatever. You know, I've, I was graduating beyond right or wrong at this point. It wasn't about right or wrong anymore. This person wasn't crazy. This person wasn't this. This person wasn't that. Things just weren't working out. When you're in the dating game, you can hit that fork in the road when you know things aren't working. And you can decide to get out the game, remove yourself from the equation, and just chill. Or you can go back to the familiar. So I fully opened the can of worms that have remained half open most of 2018. And that was my married friend in the open relationship. It was a Tom Mintz concert. Hands down, one of the best concerts I had ever attended in my life. I didn't know that at the moment. But it was somebody I liked, and it was someone she loved. So we made plans to go. And we had a blast. Sang the whole time, danced in our seats. This man is so full. Can sing his heart out. His guitar game is strong. I realized that I had been listening to more of his music and didn't even know that he was the one performing the music. We had a great time. Start to finish. From the time that she came to my house to the time that we called the Uber to go there and drop us off to going to get food. We took pictures. We had a full-blown date. And I decided right then and right there when she got back to my house that I was going to give her my all. I was on a road to nowhere, but I was tired. I was tired of the fighting with the ex, and I was tired of everything not working out. So I did what came easy, even though it had no outcome for me. And in my heart of hearts, I didn't necessarily agree with what I was doing. But in that moment, I just didn't care. So when we got back to my house, when the Lyft driver dropped us off, when we got done pretending like we were old lovers to the Lyft driver, just making up an entire story and laughing the whole way under our breath, the whole way back from the concert venue. She got into my house and I kissed her like I loved her. I held her like I loved her. And I threw my entire self into the moment. And I didn't have sex with her. I made love to her as if I loved her because I just needed to feel something. I just needed to be needed back or wanted back. No matter how ridiculous or pointless it was in the aftermath or the beforemath, I just threw myself head and shoulders into this situation with this woman because that's what you do when you don't know what else to do and no one is watching and you're not telling anybody what you're doing and you let down your guardrails, you cross your own boundaries, you keep your mentors out of the loop mentors and friends out of the loop and you just go with whatever feels good Thank you for listening to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. This has been Season 4, Episode 7. If this is your first time listening, I'm almost positive that not much that I was saying here made sense because this is a chronological 
serial podcast, which means you have to go, if this is your first time listening and you want it to make any sense at all, you need to go all the way back to season one, episode one, and start listening from there. Because it's a story. It's not an episodic, episodic podcast where I'm interviewing experts. There are no experts. I'm just a guy who talks about things that happened that got me from bad to great. And we're almost to great, but we're not there yet, which is why we're only at season four, episode seven. As I continue to encourage you, be amazing, be great, be authentic, be intentional, be wonderful, be gracious, be thorough, be fair, be good to yourself, love yourself. Make decisions that are in the benefit of yourself. Make decisions that future you will be proud of. Give yourself grace when you make mistakes. Learn to walk away from your mistakes. Don't beat yourself up because of your mistakes. And until the next time, please, with every ounce of your fiber, do your very best at all times to be 1,000% authentically you. Peace out, y'all. Much love.